Welcome back to another Congregation 5 podcast. I am Matt Avery, and I'm joined this week by Andrew Pika. What's good? What's good, brother? <laughs> hey, thanks for being here. Can you tell the good people listening who you are, a little bit about you? Yeah, for sure. I've been in Nashville for 2014, fall 2014, however many years that is. I've forgotten how to do math, just like all the kids <laughs> in homeschool, just forgetting with them. Yeah, I've been here for however long that is, and pretty much been at Midtown since then. Got involved pretty early on. I remember getting invited by a friend and feeling immediately at home, walking into 12 South, and uh, made some great friendships pretty early on, and it's been an adventure. It's been great. So, Andrew, tell us what you do for a living and tell us how you're involved at Midtown. Yeah, pre-pandemic, I was a full-time musician and made my living touring primarily. And I've been extremely blessed to be doing that ever since getting out of college in 2011 in different forms with different artists. I mean, but being a musician is always, I'm a, I feel like I'm a man of many hats. So touring has been a main thing, but I also work a couple jobs remotely for a couple music companies and always piecing it together. And what was the second question? <laughs> uh, what you do for Midtown? Yeah, I lead a discipleship group with some awesome people that have become very dear to my heart, especially in the last year. But I've been involved in Midtown small groups for a while now. And when we were gathering, whenever I could, I would be playing in the band. I just love <laughs> playing at Midtown. It's so much fun and so good for my soul. I love serving there whenever I can. Yeah, and then I've been jumping in with this crazy C5 adventure. Yeah, you have. Seeing where this is going. <laughs> yeah, the Lord has a way of whenever I start to feel comfortable of just pushing me a little bit farther, you know, out of that comfort zone. And yeah, I feel like the best adventures and the best stories come out of that. It's very bittersweet stepping out of 12 South, but I know it's that the Lord's got a greater story coming out of it, and I'm excited. I am too, man. I, I want to tell everybody a couple things. One, just as a, a reminder, I don't know if I've ever even said this in the podcast before, but uh, the reason that I've been having different people in here who are coming with us to C5 is just... One, it's way more interesting to hear a conversation where you're hearing other voices besides mine, but also it's so important. The way that we believe too about our small groups is that when we get together and you hear other people talking about God's word and the way that he's relating to them, we all learn and grow from that. That's how God's designed the church to function. And two, just to get to know each other, especially in this season of quarantine, uh, just to hear other voices of people that are going to be a part of this body so that uh, we can get down the road a little bit and get to know each other. And uh, I want to say something specific about Andrew. I want to pump him up a little bit. Uh, because <laughs> oh, this should be good. <laughs> he's, one of the, he's one of the most humble guys I've ever met, and so he needs this. A couple of things. One is, Andrew, I don't know that I've met another human being who loves the church more than you do. You are just a guy who deeply cares about the body of Christ and worship and that has always been a deep encouragement to me. And I just enjoy hanging out, man. I'm so thankful that the Lord has crossed our paths and that we've gotten to to uh, become friends, man. So I'm really thankful you're here today. I'm thankful to be here, man. I really am. I'm excited to dig in. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was walking out to my mailbox this morning 
I was like, the sun's shining, it's warm out, the birds are chirping, I'm about to go hang out with my friend and talk about the Bible <laughs> with a great cup of coffee in my hand. Like, things are good. It's good, good, man. So I'm, I'm excited. Well, today we are talking about worship, and that's one of the reasons that the Lord put Andrew in my heart to be our guest this week. And so what God is doing in Congregation 5 is He is forming a worshiping community where we are being healed and transformed and reshaped by worshiping God the way that we were intended to. But He's calling us not only to be worshipers, but He's also calling us to be worship leaders. And I know that sounds really weird, but I'm going to explain what I mean by that. And so as we get on board with what God's doing at Congregation 5, we have to understand that humans at our most core Maybe the most core thing about us is that we are worshiping beings, and what we worship shapes us. And so we need to let God reshape us through worship and lead others into that worship. When we talk about living life with people who don't know Jesus, what essentially we're doing is we share Jesus and the life that we have in Him with other people is we're inviting them to join us in that worship that is changing and reshaping us. And so today we're looking at a passage from Acts 17. Andrew's going to read that for us in a second. But in this passage, we see how Paul is shaped by his worship. Uh, We see he is in Athens, and we see how these Athenians are shaped by what they're worshiping. And then we get to see Paul inviting the Athenians into real life-giving worship as we were made for. And so, uh, Andrew, if you don't mind, man, just read that passage for us. All right, let's do it. Acts 17. 16 and 17, and then 21 through 31. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed." And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Thank you, Andrew. So we're going to start with verse 16 here, the very first verse we read, and just see how Paul was shaped by who he worshiped. Verse 16 says that while he was waiting for his companions to join him in Athens, and presumably he's never been there before, his spirit was provoked within him 
as he saw that the city was full of idols. And so that's a thought that the Lord really put on my heart this week was, what does it mean that Paul's spirit was provoked? And what has to be true about Paul for him to be disturbed like this? Hmm. As we were talking about, there's a couple ways that I can read it or that I see Paul responding. I think there's a, a little bit of truth to both sides of it. One side being that his God, this God that he's devoted his life to, that he loves, is the most important thing in the world to him. He sees these people worshiping something other than him and being led astray by something other than him. And I think at a deeper level, worshiping things that he created rather than him. And that disturbs him. And that really breaks his heart, I guess, is what I think. I was telling you like how sometimes when I'm talking to my friends that don't know the Lord and the things that they tend to dwell on or talk about and search or seek after for life and for purpose, I can listen to them and my heart just starts to break a little bit for them seeing that they're so consumed with whatever might be this trying to get success, trying to get money, trying to relationships and sex, like these things that they believe will fulfill them if they get enough of it. And I mean, I'm just as guilty of that, but I have the word of God to redirect me to truth, whereas they are just consumed in it. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. And so I think there's that degree of like, Paul cares about these people, sees them being led astray and wants to give he knows that, that he wants to share some of the hope that he has. And then I think on the other side of it is like this troubled, disturbed spirit is like the blaspheming of God going on. Kind of the feeling that wells up in me sometimes when I hear or watch a documentary or something where there's really outspoken atheists and not just atheists isn't like, I don't believe in God, but like, you're stupid if you believe in this. If you were more mature or more wise, you would never even think about this as a possibility. And that kind of, you know, anger that wells up and like feeling like my Lord is being blasphemed and squashed a little bit. I take it very personally. And there's pride in that, you know, not great stuff, but also at, at the core of it is like when you love someone, when someone speaks about my mom or my dad really poorly or something, it's why your mama jokes are so like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you don't talk about my mama that way. You don't talk about my father that way. Yeah, because I want us to think about worship as giving ourselves completely over to something. It's because that's what worship is, is giving all of myself in devotion and love to someone or something other than myself. And so when we see Paul worshiping Jesus, he is shaped by that worship, and he has a deep love for God that he is offended when people are disrespecting and disregarding God in a way that was never intended. And he loves what God loves, and God loves his people. God loves yeah. his, his creation. And so when he sees these people being led astray by spiritual powers of evil, he is righteously angry and mm. disturbed for their well-being because they are being led away from God and into death. Yeah. Okay, so we've seen Paul and how his worship is shaping him. Let's look at these Athenians and see how they're being shaped by their worship. It's such an interesting description that Luke gives us in verse 21 by saying that all of these people here would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. Andrew, what do you think he's talking about there? What, what do you make of that? Hmm. 
I think I hear a people that are searching and that are hungry to satisfy this desire that we all have inside of us, which is to know our purpose here on earth, is to know why we're created and why the universe or why the world functions the way it is. And as I was thinking about it, and as I was reading through this passage, one thing I really admire about the Athenians is how blunt that is, in that I would tend to think of them just because they're in the past as more primitive and that we're now a more awoken culture, that we've kind of used science and everything to help us figure out how everything functions. But I think the core human desire is the thread that ties us all together throughout history is that we're all searching for that and it comes through in different ways. And the Athenians seem to be a little bit more in tune with it than I think even we are today of like, with all these idols, they're keenly aware that like, there's something out there that they don't know. And they're trying to discover it and gather enough knowledge. And we're doing it in a different way today. And we each do it individually in different ways. But they seem to be at least a little more keenly aware that it's a divine thing and that it's outside of them. And so I really respect that they're at least open to it in that way. Whereas I feel like a lot of our culture today seems to be a little more introspective of like, we can figure it out through, you know, the tangible universe of science or whatever it is. I love really deep, rich conversations and spiritual conversations, even with, think about my buddy, Matt, who's not a believer, but like he's thinking about the world on a deeper level. And when you get into those conversations, it starts to get really life-giving or you feel like you're tapping into something. And so I'm like, how cool would it be to be in a culture where that's just accepted of just like, yeah, what do you believe? Come on, lay it on me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and they see Paul, obviously they're kind of mocking him a little bit, but like at the same time, they're like, let's see what this guy has to say. You know, come on, give us your two cents. And yeah, it's kind of cool. So as you pointed out to me this week, Andrew, uh, reminded me that Nashville has been called the Athens of the South. (laughs) 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 And so... Uh, yeah. Maybe there's some similarities here, but I, I think what you said just now is true that maybe the Athens have a, a leg up on us in our culture today where they were at least looking outside of themselves. Mm. And now I feel like we're looking within ourselves for the most part for this this something new. And, and I think one thing that stands out to me about the always telling and seeking something new is that what we have is not enough that nothing that we find, all these new tellings that we're receiving and trying to put into practice and living out of, hoping that we're going to find life, until the new thing that we hear is the gospel, it's never going to be satisfying. And so I am right back in the Areopagus waiting for the next person to speak. It makes me think about TED Talks, Mm. just being (laughs) constantly going back to TED Talks and, and hoping that the next person is so brilliant that he or she will bring the key that unlocks my entire life and meaning and purpose and joy and and happiness. But that's why they were obsessed with always hearing and telling something new, because what they were always hearing and telling was never enough. Hmm. So let me ask you this question. Why in the world would these people make an altar to an unknown God? What's that all about? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a couple layers to it, and it all boils down to, I think, is a deep-seated fear inside of them. The fear that stems from them knowing that they are not in control of the world, and so they need to cover their bases. 
And so they need to make sure that if there's something they're missing, if I don't know everything, if there's something that I'm lacking, I can still construct something that in case I'm wrong, cover my butt, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So at like a surface level, it's just like, yeah, maybe we have all these gods. And so maybe we missed one. So let's like create a catch-all for it. But like, if you go that next level, it's like, well, you've created these gods because even though these gods are quote unquote in control of certain things, you still have some control over these gods because you can appease them. You can sacrifice them or whatever. But what if there's a god I'm missing? So let's create a catch-all one that I can still appease that one. So like I can still have this one god that in some way or another I can make sure that their wrath or their anger against me is controlled. And I can do it by offering sacrifices or by worshiping it. I'm the one that can do it. Yeah, if I don't have that control, if I have to admit that I don't control these gods, that's an extremely scary place to be. And all of a sudden, I'm not able to dictate the circumstances of my life. Yeah, Andrew, you hit on something very true, which is that anytime we're not worshiping Jesus, we are wrapped up in this weird dichotomy of extreme fear, but also extreme pride. There's a a fear because deep down, every single person on the planet knows that there is someone who is in charge, whose opinion matters more than theirs, and it's not them. Mm. So that there needs to be some appeasement, there needs to be some kind of code that they follow in order to be okay with whoever that supreme being is. But also there's this extreme arrogance and this extreme pride that they're the ones who are coming up with how to appease the gods, that they're the ones who are deciding what's okay and what's needed. And even with this whole temple to the unknown God, if they don't know this God, how do they know how to worship him or her. And uh, they're the ones that are deciding that. That's the human condition under sin is I deeply want to be worshiped as a God, but I'm also terrified because I cannot escape because I'm made in God's image. I cannot escape the reality that I'm not God. And so I'm just constantly torn back and forth. And so we're already talking about it a little bit, but Andrew, I would love to get your thoughts on how are the Athenians and how are we today shaped by worshiping anything other than Jesus? What kind of effects is that going to have on our life? Oh, man, that's like some profound truth right there. Yeah, I think a real tangible example of a way that I can easily fall into worshiping a false god comes as like a a single male, and we live in a hyper-sexualized culture. I can easily fall into this mindset that I am not complete unless I have that element in my life. Whether it's a spouse or sex or love in that form as like a companion. And the Lord's been so gracious over my life to reveal the beauty and the joy of a relationship with Him. And I have days now, I'm so thankful this, more days than not where I feel very free and that I feel very fulfilled in my relationship with him and that I don't have some of these desires that you suggest consume me when I was younger and make me feel extremely unsatisfied. And I actually can see like, man, maybe I could actually live the rest of my life single. And there's a beauty in that. And, the, and I feel very free in saying that it's not every day, but I see that for my friends that don't know the Lord and don't have that, that this hypersexualized culture is just 
feeding this need, uh, like, I am not complete and I am not all right unless this desire is being satisfied in me. And I've seen friends that, like, they go and worship at the altar of, of Broadway and going out every, <laughs> every, you know, weekend night and just using people to satisfy this desire, meeting someone, it's like, maybe you can do it. No, next morning, like, go out next weekend to try to have someone else. And it's just this, uh, like, currency that just is never enough. And so people get used, hurt, and wind up just creating this cavern in their hearts. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying is, you know, when you sacrifice to these idols, you have to sacrifice something, and you're sacrificing yourself, mm. and you're sacrificing other people. Yeah. And I also think about, you know, thinking about how worshiping these false gods shape us. We already talked about fear. There's just this constant fear of these gods that we make in our image, they are like us, and we know that we are very flippant. And so there's always a fear that even if the gods are appeased today, they may not be appeased tomorrow. And so I'm always having to live in fear of how their affection or their blessing for me or their wrath that is taken away from me, all that might change. Yeah. And, and things may change tomorrow. And so I'm always living in fear, but I'm also always living in the prison of self-focus and pride because my number one aim every morning when I wake up, when I'm worshiping anything other than Jesus, is to make sure that I'm okay and I'm going to do everything I need to do today. And so I'm just in this prison of being constantly self-consumed, self-absorbed. So let us not let us not believe the lie that what we worship does not have a massive impact on our lives. Yeah. Uh, I want to transition now into seeing how Paul is a worship leader here. He is inviting the Athenians into real life-giving, transforming, healing worship to worship the God who created them the way that they were made to. And so uh, we see that because he was disturbed, that led him to reasoning with them. He engaged with these people. He appealed to their being religious. You know, this uh, verse, it says... Uh, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. That wasn't a knock. That was actually Paul speaking in a positive way and encouraging them of like, look at yourselves, look at your lives, the way that you orient your lives. Everything you do is religious because at your core, you are a worshiper. That is how you were made to live. So this is good. But what you are worshiping, you are in the dark right now. And I'm here to invite you to worship the God who made you that you were made to worship. Yeah. Yeah, we see Paul sharing with these people who the real God is. And so, Andrew, what are some of the things that you see here that Paul's making sure to tell them to draw a distinction between false gods and the real God? Yeah, I think the biggest thing Paul taps into right off the bat is that the living God is the creator of all your gods in that, you know, talking about sexuality, like, my God, the living God created that thing, and it's a good thing, but it's underneath him, and it's in service to him. And pick your choice, whether it's money or success, like all have good elements, but they're underneath and serve the living God. Nor is he served by human hands, that our God is perfect and complete in and of himself, and that he does not need us to do anything for him but 
by some miraculous gift, he wants us and wants to be in relationship with us and to have that. So I see Paul kind of, I almost hear him like getting just fired up, you know, as he's going is like, y'all are so close. Yes. And I love how he appeals to their humanity because again, at, at our core, we are worshiping beings. And so even people who don't know Jesus as they are searching and seeking for God, they are finding truth about him. It's just incomplete, but he points them to their very own cultural voices. They're poets and prophets and says, look at what you are saying. Look at what is inborn in you. And I'm just here to give you a more complete picture. But Andrew, what are some examples that come to your mind from today of, of how to to tap into the cultural voices and to say, look, look at how close you are? Yeah, I think you see it in the people that are the most successful in our culture by our standards of wealth and power. I think of uh, the prophet uh, Tom Brady, (laughs) 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 but like he has that 60 minute piece in which here's a dude that has achieved the height of success in football. Was he at six now, six Super Bowl rings and they're pressing him on like, what's next? Like, what do you do now? And you can just hear as he's being interviewed, like how, he knows he's still unsatisfied. There's still something unmet. And he's like this close from saying like, there is nothing left, but he can't admit it. And so it's like, he just says, I don't know, but I'm going to keep going and keep trying and keep striving. And now he's off to Tampa Bay where he'll like try to get another Super Bowl ring there. And I don't know, maybe Tom Brady has met Jesus. I don't know his heart and the Lord does, but I think it's an example of like, man, what a scary place to be that you can see this man who's gotten everything and he's still searching and still trying to find what it's all about, the life at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And so I'm going to reveal my cards from my quarantine viewing habits as a dad and as somebody who was a basketball fan in the 90s. You know, in watching The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan Bulls documentary about the 97-98 season, you see in this documentary this transformation of this man who was a small town kid who was just really good at basketball, but he was so humble. And then is all of this fame and all of this worship, because Michael Jordan is worshiped as a god, especially back then and still today in hindsight. But you see the weight of all the fame and the attention and the money is just, you you watch it literally crush this man and make him less human. He struggles with this because, you know, here you're seeing one, people are desiring to worship someone that is superhuman. Mm-hmm. They are desiring to worship someone that is superhuman, but they're also, you see that that weight of worship is too much for any one of us. And then I think about as, as a dad who's watching a lot of Pixar movies right now, Frozen 2, I mean, the whole premise of Frozen 2 is that there is a rift between the human world and the spirit world, and there has to be a spirit-human uh, the God man, or in this case, the the princess, who is the one who has to put it right and bring redemption and bring restoration. And then in Onward, which I've really enjoyed that movie, it's you know this idea that there is just a latent supernatural mystery and magic underneath the surface and inborn in this world and in all of us. And we have grown deadened and blind to it, and there's this deep need to tap back into it. But you know, all of our cultural voices are pointing toward 
this God. They're just, they're so close. And so we come like Paul does and say, I want to encourage you in your searching, and I want to encourage you in the pieces of truth that God has revealed to you, but I also want to give you the complete picture in the God who doesn't need anything from us, but he has actually given himself completely for us, that there is a God-man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has come and laid himself down so that we can have lasting peace with God. We can have lasting restoration. As we tap into worshiping the God that we were made to worship, we're tapping into our very life. This is the only worship that is healing and life-giving and transformative. And so, Andrew, I would love for you to just think out loud about how does worshiping Jesus instead of these false gods reshape us? Well, I have to believe, especially after everything we've talked about, the Bible defines worship of Jesus is what I was created to do. So if I think that thought through to the end, that means that I am being my most true, complete self when I'm worshiping Jesus. That is the most full I can be as a human because that is the purpose I was created for. That is like the lock that I'm the key that was like shaped to fit in that lock. And when I am in that space, oh, we've been, you've been talking about it for the past several weeks, that's freedom. That's what freedom looks like. And that's when all these like phrases in the Bible that Jesus talks about, the son came to set people free that sometimes feel really cryptic to me of like, what does that mean? Or he came to bring life. I'm alive. I have air in my lungs. You know, I woke up this morning, but that's when they start to make a little bit more sense of like, oh, like this is when I'm actually doing what I was created to do. This is when I'm fulfilling my destiny <laughs> a little bit. And, um, yeah, that's my thought process, especially as you're talking about stories are like the most compelling stories are when you see these characters fulfill their destiny, the thing that they were created to do. And that's what happens when I start worshiping Jesus. Like I start living in freedom. Absolutely. And so as people of God, as people of Congregation 5, the Lord, again, is building a worshiping community and he is calling us not only to worship him in this community, but to lead other people into this worship, people have, who have never known Jesus before, but have been hungry for him their whole life, but also to lead each other back into worship when we forget who we are and we forget who God is and we begin worshiping these other false gods that are, are stealing our life from us as we worship them. It's to put our arms around one another in the love of Jesus and the love that we have for one another as brothers and sisters and lead each other back into this worship that is reshaping us to give us life and set us free. Yeah. So Andrew, thank you for coming and having this conversation with me. Yeah, it was good to be here. I love our conversations, Matt. I love talking about rich, literally life-giving things. Gets me fired up and I hope to have many, many more over the years. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we are so thankful that you are not a God like the gods of this world. Lord, that you are not a God like the gods of our imagination. You're not a God like us uh, as we recast all these false gods in our image. You are a God who has made everything. You give us the very air that we breathe. You give us life and sustain us, and you need nothing from us. Lord, let us walk in the freedom of that, that we serve a God who actually serves us as we serve him. And Lord, as, as you need nothing from us, 
And as we need to do nothing uh, because Jesus has taken our sin and he has made a way for us to have a relationship with you, to be adopted as your sons and daughters, Lord, uh, let us walk in that freedom, enjoying you in worship and leading those around us into this life-giving worship. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.